Good morning. Joining me now from somewhere near Heartland is my good friend, Al Bat. Good morning, Al. Good morning. I hope everyone's having a wonderful day. Before I forget, I got a couple things I want to thank. I was over, you know, I go to Mayo Clinic 12 times a year, but every six months I go over for a, a full uh, I don't know what workup. you would call it. Just the workup. Yeah, uh, where they run me up on the hoist and <laughs> check everything out, and and it, um, you know, it's they're tests that you can't study for because they're just it's one of those kind of things. And but everything came out really well. But oh, mainly, I just want to thank. Uh, I have a um, a secret weapon when I go to all these things, and that's my uh, bride Gail. So I just appreciate her very much for being my by my side through all this. Uh, it was just another exciting addition at being at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, and she just makes it all that much worth, worthwhile. <laughs> worthwhile. It almost <laughs> sounded like I said worse. You did. I'm trying to say worthwhile. Yeah. Well, we are so pleased to hear that your reports are good, because how, how many years has it been since you had the cancer that you went through some extensive treatment for? Uh, it's been four four years Okay. Now, so, well, yeah. congratulations, yeah. and uh, God willing, you'll have a long, long, extended life with uh, being cancer-free. Yeah, I, I certainly hope that's the case. Got one more year of all the uh, 12 visits a year. Okay. Yeah. Also, well, you know, when I'm not listening to the birds, I listen to KMSU, and I want to yeah. thank everyone, uh, not only those who are on the air, but all those who support this wonderful radio station. So I needed to blurt that out right away. Otherwise, you know, it's so easy to forget things. Well, and you say, well... What I should have said was this. <laughs> let I me, appreciate it. Let me tell you, we appreciate it, too, and are in the mail today, actually. We got a, a letter from John, and do you know we got our first $1 million bill from John in New Ulm? I, I knew he had it. Well, do you know, you? I bet you don't even know what's on the $1 million bill, do you? I think it's a picture of me. <laughs> well, not far-fetched. No, I was way, I was way off. Oh, no, I it's... Don't. It's adorable. It's, it says it's a million-dollar monarch bill, so it looks like a real you know, dollar bill, except on the front, instead of a president, it's a picture of a monarch butterfly, and it says invertebrate million, not legal tender, unfortunately, signed Danis Plexippus, the scientific name, and it says one million, and it says this note serves to honor the monarch butterfly and their amazing life cycle. The United States of America, and it's got one million with all those zeros, and it says, In God We Trust, Monarch Butterfly Facts. Monarchs are found all over the United States. There are four stages in their life cycle. The stages are egg, larvae, caterpillar, pupa, chrysalis, and adult butterfly. They are migratory insects. The eggs are laid on milkweed, and milkweed is the caterpillar's food. It says, Million Dollar Monarch Bill, and it's got a picture of a caterpillar in the J, and then a chrysalis. And, you know, this is uh, John's pledge, I think, to KMSU. And what a pledge to take care of our environment and to make this world a better place. So that that's an important pledge. We appreciate that, John. And it sounds like it's a match, a matching pledge. Yeah, so if somebody wants to match that, uh, let's give the yeah. numbers. 507-389-5678. That's 507 Five six seven eight. Yes, we're in pledge drive to to actually any amount is appreciated. But I want to thank John for thinking of us, and he sent us a nice note as well that we can talk about. That is cool. And I think if you just uh, take a nice pen and you cross out that not legal tender, it'll again, work. 
It'll work. You can take it to the bank. And I think they'll say, wow, we don't see many of these, but then they'll run it through. Yeah. And we appreciate John of New Ulm, as we appreciate everybody listening. And uh, Betsy Kerr just sent me a thing that said, uh, today is the fourth day of our annual cedar waxwing visitation. So you have a oh. pledge. She has an annual cedar waxwing visitation. Neat. And they feed on the berries of our 17 two-story high Mount Batten junipers. Started with 30 of them on Thursday, grew to at least 80 on Saturday. They're so much fun to watch as they struggle to get the berry from the end of their beak into their mouth. Some are proficient jugglers, but many a berry is lost to the ground where others will recover it. And thank you very much, Betsy. And that's what we all do. We struggle to get the berry from the end of our beaks into our mouths. Or this weekend, I was out at the, the lake house, and the trees were just a twitter with birds, I could not believe it. The yard had hundreds of robins, and I think they were, I'm pretty sure they were blackbirds in the tree trees because when I slammed the door of the CRV, they all, all of a sudden took off. But I, I think, is it a, a butternut tree? They're, they're those little teeny little, they're about pea-sized little nuts, but the robins and the, the blackbirds, they were just all just going after those. What what kind of tree is that, Al? They're about, like I said, I about, would guess it. I would guess it'd be a hackberry. Hackberry, that's right. It is a hackberry, and they must just love those because the robins. There was a, probably a hundred of them around the yard, picking through and eating those bear, those little hackberry nuts. I, I call them nuts. I guess are they berries? I don't know, but they look like little because they're hard. And then in the trees, they were just. Uh, f- just loaded with the the blackbirds, and then I saw those swirls in the sky that went on forever of the blackbirds going across the area, and I just thought it must be migration or fill up before we go on a long flight time. And I I try to promote hackberry as much as I can. It's just a wonderful, oh. wonderful tree. It's beautiful tree, and I put a spot spotting scope once i saw these gulls up in the top of a tall tree which turned out to be a hackberry what and the gulls were up there eating those seeds so there's a lot of birds that feed on those not just the ones that feed on the ground these guys were up there of course they could have been out of the goodness of their hearts just tossing seeds (laughs) down to the smaller (laughs) birds on the bottom but Something tells me that probably wasn't the case, but hackberries are wonderful. I saw a bunch of gulls the other day, uh, ring-billed and franklins. And uh, franklins, when I was a kid, we called them prairie gulls because they followed the tractor around. And it was a franklins gull. I know Ben Franklin got credit for it, but it was a franklins gull that said kick, kick. So uh, that's something that uh, books have to be changed. So Ben Franklin doesn't get credit for that. It's, it was just really neat to see them. You know, birding is a phenomenal pandemic pastime for people. Yes. All the peas in there that I could. <laughs> All I need to do is watch them, and my spirits are lifted. And just as Betsy, I had a cedar waxwing come in, a lot of them into the yard, all young ones, and they enjoyed hoth. I watched one. I just, you know, you pick one out of the herd and you just concentrate on it. And I watched this cedar waxwing enjoying a hawthorn apple in the yard. And I enjoyed watching 
a cedar waxwing enjoying a haw in the yard. And the same hawthorn tree was a northern flicker, which after consulting or consuming some of the berries appeared to be contemplating the migration ahead. Uh, being your own GPS has to be stressful. Hardly any of us have to do that anymore. We have somebody who does that work for us. But white-throated sparrows are kicking back on the lawn. Uh, they forage in the leaves on the ground. They use both feet at once to scratch backward. And then they pounce forward on any seeds or insects they've uncovered. And, of course, right now it's probably mostly seeds. They, they eat a lot of insects during the breeding season. Uh, fox sparrows in the yard, they also use that distinctive double-scratch ground moves. Oh. Uh, with a forward or backward hop, their feet move aside leaf litter in search of insects and seeds for dinner. Oh, that because you, you mentioned the, the little hop. I was noticing all the robins. There were so many out there under that um, hackberry tree. And they were they were like they were little hopping, and I was like, why are they hopping on the lawn? There were so many of them. I was just watching, and they're just like hop hop. And is that what they're doing too? Yeah, and robins will move with a hop. We all move in odd ways. Okay. You know, people that uh, know us could see us walking a long ways away, and they'll say, "There's Al," you know, walking like, you know, like a doofus that he is. We all have that way of walking that makes us distinctive. Well, robins, they do a hop for the oh. most part. So they, uh, some birds hop, some birds walk, some birds do both. So it's an interesting thing. Oh, I, I had an eastern Phoebe was in my yard on Sunday, and it was uh, 26 degrees, and it flew in and it landed on a uh, feeder that was sheltered from the snow because the snow was really coming down. Mm-hmm. And it looked up for flying insects in the falling snow. <laughs> I just, I hope things are looking up for that bird today. I haven't seen it since, but I just. And the starlings, they moved in like Cousin Eddie's family in the National Lampoon's Vacation film series. You've, if you've seen that, you know what Cousin Eddie's family was like. <laughs> These guys are the same. They're numerous, they're loud, they're argumentative creatures with prodigious appetites. And even the house sparrows scattered at the invasion. And the house sparrow, I should mention again, isn't a true sparrow. It's a weaver finch. And it's native to Eurasia and northern Africa, and it's succeeded in urban and farming areas worldwide, including North America, where birds were shipped from England and released in New York in 1851. People built nest boxes for them, and the bird became known as the English sparrow because these came from England, and they were brought here to combat canker worms. But people found out that, oh, they'll have an occasional canker worm, but what they really liked were seeds and grain and things. But by 1900, the sparrows had spread to the Rocky Mountains. By 1910, they were in California. They're found on every continent except Antarctica. Hmm. My father once shared a hospital room with a sparrow. Uh, No, it wasn't a house sparrow. It was a man (laughs) named Sparrow. A bat and a sparrow in hospital beds in the same room. Uh, my father was uncomplaining, but the sparrow chirped a lot, just as house sparrows do. Uh, Brian Smith of Sleepy Eye, great guy, uh, found a long-tailed duck at the Sleepy Eye uh, water treatment plant. He says a first county record there. 
So that, that's pretty neat, Brian. That uh, Brian goes uh, visits that place pretty regularly. He also had Sanderling, or maybe Sanderlings there. Uh, Betsy Kerr added, she said, in addition to the cedar waxwings, juncos, and white-throated sparrows, a large flock of robins started feeding on our winterberry hedge, about a dozen bushes, easily six feet high and six feet across. Uh, they have occasional visits to the juniper hedge. Some robins are uh, now accompanied by a small flock of those cedar waxwings plus one lone hermit thrush. I don't see many red winterberries remaining. This happens every year, but I don't usually have the good fortune to see it. Ah, the joys of retirement. <laughs> Finally, a black form at the base of the utility pole behind the winterberry heads turned out to be a female pileated woodpecker that stayed and pecked at the old pole for at least 10 minutes. And David and Rachel Schur of uh, Mankato said, Al, we are having a problem with woodpeckers attacking our cedar siding. We ran out of suet, so got some more, but they don't seem to care. Seems Uh like the population of them is stronger than before. Glad to see them, and some still hit the suet, but husband told me to take it down because it was only attracting them. You know, I once, David and Rachel, I once owned a house with cedar shakes on the upper half uh, downy woodpeckers loved it. They just, that was uh, their go-to place. Uh, woodpeckers usually hammer on houses for one of three main reasons. Because it makes a loud noise that proclaims the bird's territory and might attract a mate. And if the birds are drumming for those reasons, they will likely stop once breeding has begun in the spring. So they don't drum when looking for food. So that's probably not it. Uh, They also will hammer because the bird wants to excavate a nest or a roost hole. If they're making a nest cavity, the hole will be round and large. Uh, Nesting holes are usually built at the beginning of the breeding season between late April and May. So that's probably not it. Could they be building a roosting hole? They possibly could for winter. If... uh, if it's feeding on insects living in the siding, if they're looking for these insects, the holes will be small and irregular. Uh, woodpeckers are particularly fond of bee larvae. Uh, researchers at the, what to do about it? Researchers at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology perform studies relating to nuisance woodpeckers. One study found that the lighter-colored aluminum and vinyl sidings are less likely to be damaged. Well, we're dealing with cedar here, so that's no help. Another study tested six common woodpecker deterrents. So they took uh, life-size plastic owls, reflective streamers, plastic eyes strung on fishing line, roost boxes, suet feeders, and a sound system which broadcasts woodpecker distress calls followed by the call of a hawk. And they found, um, this is sad, but they found nothing deterred woodpeckers all the time, and only the streamers worked with any consistency. You know, I've talked to people that have had some success deterring woodpeckers with wind socks, pinwheels, uh, helium balloons, those shiny, bright mylar balloons, you know, make sure they're attached well so they don't go off, fly away, and cause other problems. Are, are those the ones that they have, like, a big eye on them sometimes? I've seen those for sale, the big mylar with, like, a big eye that looks, you know, I'll like do. it's staring at you. But I think they'll do just as well without the eye. Oh, okay. Uh, 
strips of aluminum foil, reflective tape. Uh, other people have told me they keep uh, woodpeckers away by covering an affected area with uh, burlap or attaching bird netting, the kind designed for gardens and fruit trees from overhanging eaves to the siding. And if you use netting, make sure it's taut and set at least three inches from the siding to avoid birds pecking through it. Uh, You'd have to close the openings on the side, otherwise birds will get behind it. And get stuck, Uh, won't they? Sometimes they get stuck too. They would if it's open, yeah. And you may want to plug the holes with wood putty to discourage further activity. Uh, I don't use tanglefoot pest control, roofs no more, bird stop, uh, missing some names. They can fatally injure birds. And a house made of stained cedar shakes or shingles is particularly susceptible to damage, especially in a woodpecker hot spot. Uh, Painted houses often have less damage than stained houses, especially if painted shades of white, pastels, or bright colors. Oh, Rachel and David, sorry to be so windy. I wish I had a better answer for you, and I I wish you good luck. Uh, Bob Williams saw some 11 American avocets at High Island Lake. That's in uh, Sibley County, and that one I know is visible from County Road 15 on the north side. Uh, Rick Mammel said he saw the first juncos a bit more than a week ago. He's happy to see them, but he just, oh, he said, you know, it it means winter. Uh, Cindy Drill of North Mankato said, uh, we have certainly seen crows interacting enough in my neighborhood. I witnessed something this afternoon that I do not recall seeing before. A crow dropped into my front yard with something in its beak. We have a neighbor who apparently tosses all old bread out for the birds. I've had squirrels stash entire hot dog buns in the carport rafters. <laughs> Why? That's <laughs> a, a sitcom there. Uh, the, the crow set the object down on the ground, then pounded into the soil with its bill until it made a hole. Hmm. It then placed its item into the hole, tucking it in a time or two, and then walked around in a small area collecting leaves off the ground and returning to conceal its larder with the leaves. It was quite a show. Maybe I have to stop blaming squirrels for every random thing that pops up in my yard. Well, Cindy, crows will bury food in a yard, and they do cover it with leaves or grass. They uh, cache food in trees. I found things in rain gutters that I know crows have put there. Any niche, nook, or cranny. And then they retrieve the stored food when it's needed. So they use it as a pantry. The hidden food is an insurance policy against lean time. And it offers convenient foods without the brick-and-mortar stores being required. Uh, Tim Scott sent me a uh, note about the painted red start in the McAllister neighborhood. That's a bird that's typically in Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas. Why it's here, we don't know. Uh, Sylvia Zevenbergen sent me a thing on, uh, I believe it was a long-tailed Jaeger in, uh, over by Edgerton. And John Beale of Medford wrote, Al, you mentioned skunk. Reminds me of a story about my Uncle Clarence in Milan, <laughs> Minnesota. 
He heated his home with wood. After throwing wood into the basement, he forgot to put the window back in. He ended up with a skunk in the basement. Ooh. A neighbor told him, no problem, just put a plank down to him. We all have neighbors like that, don't we? No problem, just put a plank down to him, and he'll crawl back out. The next morning he went to check, and now he had two skunks oh. in his basement. John says, I do not recall him saying how he got rid of them. Um, Mark... Oh, Mark, I'm not sure if it's tack or tacky, T-A-C-K-E, seeing a Baltimore Oriole in Brown County, and Chad Hines uh, spotted a Townsend Solitaire in Nicollet County. So a lot of great birds still being seen out there. It's still uh, still a time of passage here. So we kind of move from the warblers into the sparrows now. And then the sparrows will kind of give way. We'll start seeing all the waterfowl moving through. And uh, right near my house in a cornfield, there is a huge flock of Canada geese out there enjoying some corn on the ground. So they're they're making who knows when they're going to leave. I don't think they have any definite plans. They just there's some of those when you you're going to go on a trip. They just say, well, we'll just kind of see how it works out. Do just head down the road. And find a good place, and maybe that's where we'll go. Do crows uh, travel somewhere, or do they usually hang around? Crows uh, move a real short distance, so a lot of the crows that people are seeing out in their yards in in, uh, maybe Eagle Lake or some other uh, Kosoda, those crows will move probably into Mankato for the winter. Really? A bit warmer. Uh, There's more food, a lot more food. And then there'll be lights. And, you know, a lot of us, I don't like any lights on when I want to sleep because, man, it's hard. I just wake up and go, oh, my gosh, I've overslept. It's like four the next (laughs) afternoon or something. But crows apparently aren't bothered that way because it helps them survive because great horned owls are out there. Great horned owls can see well in any time, especially at night. They're so much better than other birds. But crows are able to see owls at night. And, of course, there's fewer owls in cities, although I think that's changing a little bit as they have learned that there's a lot of things to hunt in Mankato and Austin and larger larger towns and just the little ones. So uh, crows, it's they want to go, and that's why I hear from people saying, Right outside our church, there's uh, crow poop all over the sidewalk because they nest in that tree. So uh, sadly in that one, they cut the tree down because they thought maybe it wasn't a good idea to have parishioners come in with (laughs) crow poop on their shoes. It was kind of a sad thing. I said, uh, maybe the crows just want it in, you know. I just got um, an email, and this is a garden question again. Oh. Should I... I think, uh, should I rake the leaves or leave the leaves? Uh, Right now, I think a lot of people have no choice. Uh, They're buried under snow. But if you leave the leaves on the lawn, they give shelter for beneficial insects, and the nutrients on the leaves break down and fertilize the lawn. It's a good idea to use a mower or mulcher to shred them so they break down faster and don't smother the grass. It does provide a home for one of Karen's favorite animals, the vole. Right. And you should clean up the leaves in areas close to open water and areas near streets and storm drains because if you don't, it, it could lead to water quality issues in lakes, rivers, and streams because it's an 
it could cause algae blooms in the spring. And also, you know, if it's really thick, you might want to at least rake it so it's not so so thick because that can, you know, cause some some uh, damage to your, your grass or things. But if it's a thin, nice layer of, of leaves, it's not a big deal. I know I kind of just push it around a little and we'll we'll I think the snow is going to melt so I think you can you know I, I'm, I'm probably going to try and when it gets warm next week go out and, and mow over with my mulching mower to at least you know break them down so they'll break down into the soil quicker. So you're saying it's going to the the snow will melt now not in like May. Oh please please let's hope I, I'm hoping next week when it gets I'm thinking it's going to get to 50 and I'm hoping that's the day it'll melt we've got you know it's covered now and it's just too early for me so that's I'm being optimistic Al. Yeah and I, I guess we should really enjoy what we get in October because the sun shines a little bit more very often November can be really dark really cloudy so yeah. it's kind of nice to to see a little bit of sun now and again. So that's a nice thing uh, to have. So I, we we better take what we get because we True. don't have any choice in the matter. That's what my mom always said. She wasn't much for listening to weather reports because she <laughs> said, really, I don't have anything to do with that. It just... That's your father's bailiwick. <laughs> He's the one that hollers at the weatherman all the time saying, what are you doing? And and he was a farmer, so we didn't have all the online things. We had to listen to the guy on the radio. Yeah. Give that. And, oh, Dad would just, you could tell what the weather was going to be, by the way. He could hear him hollering there. That, oh. And then he'd say, well, it'll probably be okay, because those guys don't know what they're talking about. But, boy, you know they do. Meteorologists are incredibly accurate on their predictions, uh, much to our chagrin sometimes. Uh, it's tough to do long-range weather forecasts, but boy, for the the short term, they are amazingly good. Al, John wanted to bring up something about uh, beavers. He said Al had a deal with a beaver once. They slapped the water to scare and to warn other beavers of danger. Maybe Al knows both reasons? Question mark. Why they slapped the water? I think in this case, when the beaver, I was chased by a beaver. It was a proud yeah. moment in my life. I just, I was, I was in a canoe, but I, you know, it was a big. Oh, folks, it was a big animal. First, I thought it was a grizzly bear. It was that big, and <laughs> so that's why, I, why I kind of, I didn't really run. I paddled. Right. It was doing it as a warning, and it paddled at, and I was on the Missouri River, and it slapped and it echoed down the river if there'd been anybody else on the river they could have heard that echo of this beaver but it was just telling me look buddy i'm not going to tell you again get away from me take your camera and just you know hit the hit the river and so it was it was a warning as many warnings are that i should have uh, i should have listened well, to they don't hurt you though can a beaver hurt you you know, I didn't want to find out. <laughs> uh, it didn't seem happy with me at all. And it's a big animal with big teeth. And uh, so I, yeah, I didn't want to stop and pet him and say, who's a good boy? Who is a good boy? Because it didn't seem like that was a thing to do. Well, John sent me the article that said that a beaver can stay underwater for 15 minutes. So it can hide from you for quite a while. It can, and then I'd have been in a canoe paddling along, and then I would have heard the theme from Jaws, <laughs> and that would have been a bad sign then, because then the head of the beaver would have come up and it taken a big bite out of my canoe, and it just, Ugh. I'm telling you folks, it was the size of a 
grizzly bear, not a small grizzly bear, a full size. It was the biggest beaver. I'm sure it set records. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. Thank you, John, for that. And uh, please, uh, please do help KMSU keep doing this. It, it's you know, it's like when the whole family has to go outside to rake leaves and pick up fallen sticks in the yard. And the sooner you do it, the sooner you all pitch in and get it done. Yes. the easier it is for everyone. So I, I appreciate all of you so very, very much. You are uh, you're great people, and I I love hearing from you. You have the greatest questions and things that I don't notice. We can't notice everything, and boy, I just, uh, I really do appreciate you. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm hoping the cafe will open up one of these days yes. here, but I, I want to talk about when it was open, back when I could still spit in the palm of my hand before an official handshake. That's kind of a, <laughs> a boy thing. You just spit and you, and you slap him, and that was official. The cafe owner told me there were two things he never washed. One was his grill. I didn't ask what the other (laughs) one was. I really didn't want to know that much. But his hamburgers were the best I've ever eaten anywhere. And my favorite, it was my favorite grease delivery system. We all have that favorite grease delivery system. He told me a secret was the grill, never cleaning the grill. So when I ate a burger there, I was eating the history of burgers it was the best as is kmsu and thanks to all you you're going to keep it that way uh remember heartland is well worth driving past thanks for listening to me do something wild today get out there and look at a bird do something just as wild and um, donate to kmsu thank you karen as always for your wonderful company i appreciate you Thank you, Al. We appreciate you as well, and, and thanks for your many, many years of being a, a staple of KMSU Radio. How many years have you been on? I was chatting with Herb Croon uh, this weekend, who does Best of Broadway, and he figured he's been on 36 years, so uh, you've been at least that or more, I'm guessing. Oh, no. Herb's got me beat. Oh, really? Um, um, oh, gosh, yeah. He's, uh, he's been a staple. He's an icon. I am a guy who gets chased in a canoe by a beaver. So it's a big difference there. But you've been close to over 30, I'm pretty sure. It, it's been a while, yeah. And yeah. It, it's gone by as you, everyone learns in the snap of a finger. Absolutely. Well, we want to thank you, Al, and thank to our listeners for supporting KMSU and, and uh, supporting a love. People love your show, Al, and if you support Al Bat and love his show, give us a pledge. Give us a call, 507 389 five six seven eight hey thanks al talk to you soon yeah and don't make me beg because well you know you know i will after i ran from that beaver i would certainly beg (laughs) thanks al bye-bye thank you bye-bye